You see, I'm a dad with two teenage boys. That means I get plenty of opportunities to use the phrase, what were you thinking? You can say it along with me. Um, their response is typically the same. It's like, Dad, I don't know what I was thinking. And it reminds me, when I grew up, I had a, a friend of mine, his dad would always ask him and sometimes ask me, he would say, um, so why did you do this? And, and we would start giving a defense and we would always start by saying, I didn't think that, and he would stop us and say, what were your first three words? I didn't think. Man, I remember that lesson over and over again. Well, um, some of these are mistakes, they're bad judgments, but I call them learning opportunities. And when I was growing up, I had plenty of those with my own father. Plenty of times where he said, what were you thinking? It was a familiar question. In fact, I just thought it was part of the general, general lecture that I got. And so it kind of faded out on me, but over time, it began to hit home. It was like there was a light shining on some of my own actions. Because we've all done dumb stuff, right? So when I was in high school, um, I was hanging out with uh, some friends of mine. Uh, you know, I was an athlete, and so uh, we, we didn't have anything to do that night. That's bad. And so one of my friends came up with a great idea. Now, he thought it was an awesome idea. I didn't think it was that great at first, but I went with it. So he's like, hey, let's go buy some eggs and let's egg some cars. So we go to the grocery store and we buy all these eggs and I have to wonder what were the employees thinking that night? Oh, isn't this nice? All these high school boys are gonna have a big breakfast tomorrow morning. So we get all these eggs, we go out, it's, it's dark, we get our location and I was a pitcher in baseball, so I mean, this is right up my alley. And after hitting a number of cars, uh, we noticed uh, police stars. There were two police cars that came, there's spotlights, they were looking for us. And so as I sat in the police station late that night, and finally we got to the point where the officer said, all right, you can call your dad and he'll come get you. I called my dad. And what do you think he said to me when he showed up that night? What were you thinking, son? And I don't think he said anything else to me. I think that was about all he said to me for a couple of days. So here's the deal for us. People do dumb stuff, but... You and I have done dumb stuff. And this was probably the first time in my life after the egging incident, after the trip to the police station, that I said myself, what was I thinking? I realized it just wasn't a mistake. It, it wasn't just poor judgment. It was both those things. But I knew that there was something deeper than that. There was nobody else to blame. It was my fault for getting involved. I'd done wrong. I was accountable. I had damaged other people's property. And it was my actions that caused that. And I realized, um, maybe for the first time, that something's wrong with me. And I didn't pinpoint it as sin. I didn't say, oh, well, I, I've sinned. I've really messed up. But I knew something was not right. And there were many more, what was I thinking moments or events after that. And so here's the question for us this morning. It is this. It's actually two. What do I do about these what was I thinking moments? And how can I avoid them in the future? So what can I do about these what was I thinking moments? And how can I avoid them in the future? 
because we've all had them. When we take a close look at our life, we've all had them. What was I thinking when I lied about that? What was I thinking when I thought no one else will notice if I take a little extra? What was I thinking when I went home with that person? What was I thinking when I started that affair? What was I thinking when I got behind the wheel after drinking too much? What was I thinking when fill in the blank? We all have those experiences. And the scripture gives us plenty of examples of people who messed up big time, who had those events, who had those moments in their lives. And there's so many stories I could reference where people did painful and sinful things. But since we've been talking about the Psalms this summer, I want to take a look at King David's life. And we're going to take a look at Psalm 51. This is a psalm of repentance and contrition, which simply means it's a time where he had deep sorrow and humility before God as he opened his heart and poured out his heart to God. And here's what David said. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So David, as he passionately poured out these words to God, he knew that he'd messed up. It was a big time, what was I thinking moment. And so we asked, what what happened? Well, David was the king of Israel. He was having lots of success. His kingdom was growing. Kings were supposed to lead their troops into battle. That was a part of their leadership and their job. And at one particular time, it says in the Bible that he sent his troops off to war, and he decided to stay home. David chose to rest, to take it easy. And then we read in the text that uh, one day after his mid-afternoon nap, David was walking on the roof of the palace, and he was just kind of checking out all the areas around the palace, and he spotted a very beautiful woman. And her name was Bathsheba. He didn't know this at the, the moment or at the time. And so there's all kinds of commentary about this story in terms of David and Bathsheba. So he's on the roof, he's looking out, he notices this beautiful woman, and the commentators have written, well, she was probably, she could have been up on her roof, you know, how did he notice her? Um, was she trying to get his attention? Um, was she, you know, try, hoping that an invitation would come? Um, I don't think so. Let's take a look at the text from 2 Samuel, which gives more of the detail here. So he sees her from the rooftop, and he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. David was in a mess. And all this was his doing. Now, as we look at the text, some of the commentators who are wondering, okay, um, how much did she contribute to this? 
making herself available. Well, as we see in the text, um, she was not on her rooftop. Most likely, she was doing a, uh, going to a public bath, which was called a mikvah. Here's a picture of what it looks like, which was a pool for ritual cleansing. And a woman was supposed to do this every month after her monthly period. And so she was out there, and this had walls and enclosure to give people privacy, and she was probably there in complete decency. Yet the king up in the palace could look down at the city. He could see above any walls, and he spotted her. And I don't know what his practice was. I don't know if he enjoyed looking around the palace on a regular basis, but on this day, he said, that beautiful woman, I want to meet her, and I want to invite her to the palace for one purpose. And she got pregnant. So that had to have been the point, right, when he heard this news that he said, what was I thinking? And he began to write the words of this psalm. Is that what happened? Nope, that's not what happened. Somehow, David didn't get it. After he heard the news that she was pregnant, he began to plot He went into pretending in cover-up mode. And he's like, I've got to make this go away. So he sent his messengers out to the commander of the army. And he said, bring Uriah home. I want him to come back and give me a report of the war. And so he brought Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to the palace. And he asked for a report. And then he said, hey, go home, relax. Spend the night with your wife. You get the gist? Problem solved. But the problem was Uriah didn't go home. Instead, he stayed the night with the palace guards. Now, after David heard this, he thought, "Um, all right, well, I got to bring him into the palace one more time. And so he brought him back and he said, Uriah, tonight I want you to eat with me. You're going to eat great food. You're going to drink lots of uh, good cocktails And what was David trying to do? To get him to go home to be with Bathsheba. And so when he said this, Uriah said, no, no, I'm not gonna go back to my house. And David's like, why? And and Uriah replied, he said, hey, I'm out there sacrificing with all of the soldiers. We're committed to battle. How can I go home? When they're out there doing this, how can I go home and relax and enjoy my wife and drink wine and eat well. Now, I will stay with the palace guard while I'm here. So David had him in for dinner that night, got him as drunk as he could and thought, he's gotta go back home. And Uriah went to sleep with the palace guard again. Now, David, you had to wonder, okay, is it, is it grabbing him now? That Look at this guy. Look at the evil that he's done to Uriah. Where David is saying, What was I thinking? How could I do this? It didn't happen. Didn't cross David's mind at this point. Even though he totally sinned against this guy. David goes the next step. As Uriah goes back to the battlefield, he gets message to the commander. And he says, I want you to put Uriah on the front line where the battle is most fierce, where the strongest fighting is. And then I want you to pull back on him. And the commander got the message, and Uriah was put in the fiercest part of the battle, and he was killed. And David's sin continued 
just spiral. So when the news came back and Bathsheba found out that her husband had been killed in battle, she went into a time of mourning. And then after the mourning was done, David invited Bathsheba to come to the palace and become one of his wives. And it says in the text, the Lord was displeased with what David had done. That's when it hit David, right? When he realized, what was I thinking? How could I do this evil against these people and against my God? David wasn't there yet. It wasn't until God sent a prophet to him to basically lay out the story of, here's what happened, David, that it hit him. That he had sinned in a big way before God. It became very personal. The what was I thinking moment was real for David. And that's when he began to pour out his heart to God. So how do we deal with these what were you thinking moments? We get honest. We acknowledge our sin, the hurt that we caused, and recognizing that we need to repent, to open our hearts to God, and to say, God, we're, we're broken. I'm broken. I've been independent from you. I've rebelled against your standards. And repentance simply is when we recognize or acknowledge that we've created mess in our lives and maybe in our world, and we ask God for grace and forgiveness. That's what David did after these horrific events. Here's what he said once again. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you. And you alone have I sinned. Now here's the this is so important for us as we think about these two questions. What do we do with the what were you thinking moments? And then how do we begin to live a life where we try to avoid them? We have to understand that repentance is not just a one-time thing. Now, it's a starting point. It's an important starting point for each of us where we recognize, we acknowledge that we need God's grace. We need what he can give us that we can't get for ourselves. And if you're here this morning and you're searching out faith and you're wondering how does this Bible stuff work and what's Jesus really about, that's really the starting point for us in having a relationship with God. In that sense, it doesn't matter how much you've done, how many um, what was I thinking moments you've had in your life, It's like every human being meets Jesus at the cross where we learn that we have to turn from our old ways and accept his grace and forgiveness. That's why I went, that's why I came to our world, that's why I died on the cross, that's why he was raised from the dead, to defeat the power of sin and brokenness and all of the what was I thinking experiences that we've had in our lives. And that's where we can find cleansing in relationship with God. So Jesus is the starting point for that. 
That's where repentance is not a, uh, you know, it's a starting point, but it's not a one-time thing. Because here's what's most, um, I guess, most interesting or, uh, you know, almost shocking about the story is David had a relationship with God when all this happened. It says in the Bible that he was a man after God's own heart. He'd followed God. He'd had a vibrant relationship with God. And yet, at some point, something changed. You see, every day, you and I are called, as we follow Christ, to live in repentance or dependence, where we turn from our ways and we look to the ways of Jesus. We learn that through his words, through the scriptures. And yet at some point along the way, David stopped doing that. He stopped living daily, seeking relationship with God. Living with repentance, humility. And instead, pride and entitlement took over in his life. You see, every one of us, it doesn't matter if we're new to faith or we've been in the faith following Christ for years. Every one of us has a temptation to not live this way on a daily basis. But we need to, where we grab a hold of God's presence and we depend on him. Here's uh, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans as he talks about this it's, it's really a, an act of the will, a, a choice that we make on a daily basis. He says, don't copy the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And what God does is he gives us what we don't have. He gives us the ability to focus on him, to focus on his ways. And here's the, the change that's important. When we do this, there's an important change. We begin to say, instead of what was I thinking, we can begin to say on a daily basis, I want to know what God is thinking. I want to know what God is thinking. It's a whole different way of life, a whole different way of thinking where God begins to do work in us. Um, I have a friend um, who lives this way. He's such a humble guy, Larry Gents. You know, some of you know him here. And, uh, and, and I see him living in this daily way of repentance or dependence. Um, he didn't start out that way. I mean, Larry, if, if you've heard about his background, Larry, uh, he grew up in a home um, that they didn't go to church. I don't know what they believed about God. Uh, Larry tells the story where he talked to his dad early on and asked him about God and about church. And his dad said, hey, I'm just not interested. He might be there. I'm not interested. If he is, I'm angry with him. My dad died when I was young, so I don't care. We're not going to church. And so Larry grew up thinking all kinds of things about Jesus and church and religion, and he wasn't interested. He just wasn't interested. Um, and along the way, Larry had some what was I thinking moments. Now, I want to show you a, a picture from back in the day. Now, <clears throat> thankfully, you got the one? So thankfully, the, the style of hair and dress, they may be what was I thinking moments, but they're not 
sinful what was I thinking moments. Um, look at that cute couple. Look at them. All right, let's see another picture from his band days. Yeah, there he is in the back. Um, well, so Larry, he had, uh, and I think we have one more with Larry and Rose. There they are. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Larry, he, uh, went, he was invited with, with friends of his to go to the church, to a, some kind of a church service, and he went. And, uh, and you know, so he, he, this is how he looked. And the pastor, after the service, walked up to him, and he basically asked him, are you saved? Are you a Christian? And Larry's like, well, I really don't know what you mean by that. And the pastor smirked at him. And I don't know what happened after that. Larry doesn't remember, other than he didn't want to go anywhere near church. And some of the church people he'd met, he'd felt very much judged by. So Larry wasn't interested. And yet a point in time came where he was getting married to Rose, and uh, they, he just wanted to go through justice of peace. He had no interest in church. And yet Rose's mom, I don't know if demanded maybe is too hard of a word, but encouraged them to use a pastor. In fact, when she said, I'll pay for the pastor, that's when Larry said, all right, fine. Pastor can do it. And a relationship began as he met this pastor, and he met somebody who was honest about his own failings, about his own need for grace, who was humble, not judgmental. And God began to move in Larry's life. And so he acknowledged at some point, God, I need you. Jesus, I'm gonna put my trust in you. And then he started to figure out, how do I live this out on a daily basis where I begin to depend on God and learn what he is thinking? I wanna know what he is thinking and move away from all of my what was I thinking experiences. You see, that's the invitation for all of us today. No matter where we are, whatever your starting point is, whether you're just interested in faith and thinking about taking that step to put your trust in Christ or you've been following him, we're all on the same playing field. We're broken people that daily need God's grace and presence in our lives. And when you and I begin to encourage each other and as we get honest with each other and we, we share our stories, what we've learned, as we kind of look at the, the scripture together to learn Jesus's ways together so we can begin to know what God is thinking, God does some pretty special things. And God will do some pretty special things through us this week as we make that commitment to daily look to him, to open our hearts to him. 